He is risen. Okay, so today we put a, a special emphasis uh, on an event that really Christians celebrate every single Sunday, uh, that being the resurrection of Christ. Uh, we gather together and we worship Jesus, not because he died, but because he lives. And that's a very significant thing. It's, it's easy for us to forget, but uh, our Lord Jesus Christ actually hears us. He hears us when we are singing here, and when we pray together, and when we confess our sin corporately and individually, as we did a moment ago. He hears what we do in worship because he is alive. And what I hope to show you in these three passages today uh, of Scripture today is that because he lives, we live too. We live now, and we will live in the future. And so, uh, just to kind of bottom line a few of these things, the term resurrection at the most basic level uh, is, means this. It's the act of a living being uh, after death coming back to life. And really, that's why the butterfly image doesn't work. The butterfly never actually dies. Uh, and so the three resurrections that we're going to be considering today are the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of our souls, and the resurrection of our bodies. And, and, and this is really the, the so what of Easter. Um, so what does it matter that Jesus rose from the dead? Uh, because it's a theological thing on some level, but it really matters. Uh, and it matters because the resurrection uh, of our souls and our, and our bodies is absolutely contingent upon the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Absolutely. And, and so today, as we remember what Christ has accomplished on the on the cross, we're going to be looking at those three resurrections. Let's, uh, let's begin with the, the resurrection of Jesus found in Matthew 28. And we're going to read verses 1 through 10 here. Now after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came, and he rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. And he, has, <clears throat> and he said, Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and, looked and, and, came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. The grass withers and the flower fades. Let's pray. Lord, as we look back to your resurrection with amazement, it gives us reason to look forward to our own resurrection of soul and body with hope and actual anticipation. As we see these three resurrections in your word today, we ask that you make our faith to believe 
to believe strongly so that we might live with a passion for the truth of the gospel that manifests itself in our openly speaking of salvation and your mighty deeds and of the forgiveness and the future resurrection with, with others, just so it strengthens our own faith. Lord, build our confidence in Christ and our Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen. The story of the resurrection is in each of the four Gospels. And each of the Gospels give a little different perspective on it, a little different detail of what actually happens as as this glorious Sunday unfolds, how everyone responds to this good news. In the Gospel of of Luke, there's an angel who tells Mary and and Joanna that Jesus was risen from the dead. And and when these women see this, um, they, they go and they go to share this good news and they tell the apostles and we're told that the apostles received it. And then in Luke 24, 11, it says, these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. When they first heard this news, they did not believe it. It was difficult to believe, even for them who have seen all these miracles unfold. In the Gospel of John, we learn that later in the day, that same Sunday, but later in the day, most of the apostles get to see the resurrected Christ in person. And they come to believe that Jesus is indeed alive. And yet at that meeting, Thomas is not there. And he does not believe. When the apostles tell him about it later, he simply does not believe what they're telling them which, of course, earns him the nickname Doubting Thomas, which sticks for, what, 2,000 years now. Which is fitting, right? He does not believe in the resurrection. And, and he says in John 20, 25, this is Thomas, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. He is adamant about this. Eight days later, Jesus shows up, comes right through the wall or through the door, somehow comes into a locked room, and Thomas is now finally able to see him. Thomas is now able to touch him. And we see how Thomas responds. It says, he responds by saying, my Lord and my God. He worships. That's the response that we all get when we come to believe in the resurrection of Christ. He worships Christ, my Lord and my God. Now, if I'm honest, when I hear these stories, I'm jealous. I just am. I'm jealous because I want to see the resurrected Christ myself. I, I want the proof like Thomas gets proof. I, I want to hear with my own ears like Paul gets to hear with his own ears uh, on the way to, the, to, to Damascus. You see, I'll gladly embrace the nickname Doubting Brian for the rest of eternity if I can get to see that. If I can just stand before the resurrected Christ, I think you might feel the same way. Uh, And the truth is, we've got to let go of that. In the Gospel of John, the same one we were just looking at, immediately after Thomas confesses, my Lord and my God, Jesus responds to him immediately right after that. And this is what he says, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. That's us. That's the situation most of the church throughout history is going to be in. And that's the reality. And unless some of you have been spending time with the resurrected Christ and have just been holding out on us. And I don't think that's the case. Um, 
But this is why Paul in 2 Corinthians says that we walk by faith and not by sight. We don't get absolute proof, but we do receive the gift of faith. And Jesus himself says, says, we are more blessed than Thomas, more blessed than Peter or John or Mary or Joanna or any of the others who got to see the resurrected Christ with their actual eyes, more blessed. And so I want to encourage you today, what I want to encourage in you today is to believe by God-given faith that Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. And at the same time, I want to encourage you to know that you are not alone when you struggle believing something like this. Uh, Similar to the young father in Mark 9, 24, who said, I believe, help my unbelief. See, there have been times in my own life when it's been difficult to believe. It's in those times that I found myself spending time in prayer and speaking to God and being open and honest and and sharing my own doubts. I've also spent much time in the scripture during these times because I love to see that Jesus is patient with those who doubt and who are seeking to believe. I think of Thomas, who we just looked at. But I also want to remind you of this, that it matters. It really matters that the resurrection actually happened. And it matters that you believe what you believe about the resurrection. Because our our sins are not redeemed by embracing some of Jesus' teaching. Uh, Respecting the command to love thy neighbor, great. But that's not the same thing as having faith in Christ. And and I mention this because plenty of denominations and groups in our culture have, have looked to Jesus as a really great guy who lived a really great life and is a really great example for how we might live our life. And yet they deny that Jesus Christ has rose from the dead, and that is not okay. Because that's not Christianity. See, Christianity is a response to an actual historical event, the resurrection of Christ. Adam and Eve, real people created by God. People who really did sin. And and so you were born with a very real sinful nature. And and you have lived a very real sinful life. And that requires a real Savior who really lived and really died. And yes, really resurrected from the dead. And so when God raises Jesus from the dead, it means that the work of Christ was effective, that he accomplished what he set out to accomplish. It means that God has accepted this sacrifice of Christ's life. Do you understand that? That means if your faith is in Christ, then your sins are forgiven, really forgiven. See, it's your debt, and Jesus paid for it, and God the Father received that payment in full from from Christ for you. That's why throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus refers to God the Father as his Father. And then immediately after the resurrection, when he's talking to Mary Magdalene uh, in John 20, 17, he says this, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. See, we're not born children of God. We, We are reborn children of God through the death and the resurrection of Christ. And so the resurrection of Christ actually happened. And I mention that, and you're thinking, yeah, of course it did. 
Um, it doesn't require you to believe it happened for it to have actually happened. It really happened. And yet we must ourselves respond to this event. We either ignore the resurrection, we deny the resurrection altogether, or like the women in Matthew 28, we bow down and we worship the risen king. So the resurrection of, of Jesus begets two more resurrections. The second resurrection that we're looking at today is the resurrection of your soul, our soul. Uh, people often wonder, what is my soul? Uh, it's a bit foggy at times. <clears throat> it's two parts, right? Or we are made up of two parts. We, we are a body and we are soul and they are designed to go together. It's not that the soul is better than the body. It's just the two parts that we are. Uh, the big term for this is dichotomy, meaning just two separate things. Uh, most of you have a good idea what your body is because it's physical. We can touch it. We can see it. Uh, you can feel pain in it. You can feel pleasure in it. You understand what your body is. Your soul, on the other hand, is a little less clear to us. <clears throat> I remember on the first day of studying philosophy in college, um, walking into the classroom, and the professor was sitting on his desk at the front of the classroom. I didn't know this man, but there he was sitting there. Uh, we all settled in, and eventually he begins the class, and his first question is, what is the essence of man? Really, what he's asking is, what is our soul? Um, he asked, if I cut my hair, have I lost some of my soul? We were all pretty confident, no. You're still you. Um, <clears throat> and then he asked us, how much of my physical body must remain for me to remain fully human? I don't know. And then as we students just looked at each other, trying to figure out what's the right thing to say here, he took off his left leg, um, slid it out of his pant leg, and set it on the desk next to him. We had no idea he could do this. Just met the man. Um, and he asked us this question, have I lost any of my being? No. We didn't even know he had a prosthetic leg. Uh, and then as he continues, he takes off his right leg, slides it out of his pant leg, and sets it on the desk. And at this point, we're starting to wonder, is he a robot? How, how far can this go? Is he even really our professor? And all this while, you know, as I'm confused and watching this, I'm wondering what else is he going to take off? And nothing else came off. And he wasn't a robot, but he forever made his point. We are physical beings, yes. But we also have an invisible part of us that is not destroyed just because the body is destroyed. And if you remember from the beginning, resurrection is when something dead is brought back to life. The, uh, <clears throat> the dead body of Jesus was brought back to life. The second resurrection we're talking about is that of our soul. You see, at this moment, everyone living on the planet uh, is either spiritually dead uh, or has a soul that has been resurrected through the gospel. Ephesians 2 will help us see this. So let's walk through the first 10 verses, starting with just the first four of them. Ephesians 2, 1 through 4 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Do you catch that very first phrase? It says that we were dead in our trespasses and our sins. 
Dead, not sick. Not injured, not sleeping. Dead. And the dead contribute nothing to anything. Remember when Lazarus was dead and Jesus calls out to him. Did Lazarus, or did Jesus resurrect him first, or did Lazarus respond first? Well, certainly Christ resurrected him first. Because the dead do not respond to anything. Only the living can respond. And so we know that indeed Christ resurrected his soul first, resurrected him first, and then he responded. The same is true with our souls. You remember in the Garden of Eden, there's uh, Adam and Eve, and and they sin, and part of their punishment is death. And you read this and you wonder, well, why didn't they just die dead right then and there? Why do they keep living? You see, their bodies began to age at that very moment. They began to deteriorate. They, they start to feel the, the pain in their bodies as they begin to age over the years. They, uh, things like the ultimate Frisbee game this weekend. As you get older, you start to feel this worse and worse. And uh, you young people don't get this yet. But as you get older, you start to understand that your bodies are deteriorating. Um, Immediately, though, Adam and Eve are spiritually dead. They are separated from God, put outside the garden. Uh, There is this strangeness between them. And and everyone's sense is also separated from God. So our souls are born in this spiritually dead place. And and now I want to look at this this glorious text, Ephesians 2, 4 through 10. This is where it continues on, and it says this, But God... Okay, that's the subject now. That's who's doing this. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. It goes on, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. When we believe the gospel, when we believe that we are sinners, and that the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ happened and applies to us, when we have faith like that, uh, it's because God has resurrected our souls. It's a work that he has done in the lives of people. And so Christian, if your faith is in Christ, that is because your soul has been resurrected from death to life. And that means that you are no longer separated from God. That relationship is restored. And here's the practical reality of that. When our bodies die, our souls are immediately in the presence of our Savior. We don't shut down into some sort of soul sleep or nothingness, just waiting for our bodies to be resurrected. But our our souls, the invisible part of us, is immediately with Christ our Savior. That's why when when Stephen is stoned to death in the book of Acts, he calls out, seeing the Lord, and he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. It's then, it's present. Uh, That's why in Philippians 1, 21 and 24, we looked at last year, Paul says he wants to die, which is strange, but listen to the rest of this, that he wants to die and be in the presence of Christ. In Ephesians 2, here's what it says, for... 
To me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. Listen to this. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. For that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. If he dies, he will be with Christ. Also in 2 Corinthians 5, 6-8, we see this comforting doctrine again. It says, so we, are, <clears throat> we, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Christian, let that be a comfort to you. When, when you dwell on your future death, as creepy and weird and awkward as that is, um, as you dwell as, on, on the death of your loved ones who are in Christ, think of that immediately with our Savior. Because Christ has been resurrected, He has already resurrected our souls. And so though your body will still die, your soul remains alive, your soul, uh, and you will be in the presence of your Savior at death. It's weird. I get it. It is weird when I hear that. But I hope comforting as well. Uh, because Jesus has won the sin over victory, or won the victory over sin, we can say with Paul in 1 Corinthians 15:55, "Oh death, where is your sting? Oh death, where is your victory?" And that's true both physically and spiritually. And so the first resurrection is the act of Jesus Christ rising from the dead. And the second resurrection is, is my own soul, your own soul, being brought from death to life by the power of Christ in the gospel. And the third resurrection is our actual physical bodies. Uh, let's look at 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 26. Paul here is addressing a group, a group of people who are denying that the resurrection is even possible. It's impossible is what they're saying. It, it, you might be able to imagine people in our own culture thinking that, uh, that the resurrection is impossible, maybe. Uh, here's what he says. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be mis misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. And so he sets it up. If that's reality, man, we, we're the most pathetic of all people. He makes clear about that, right? But there's more to it. It goes on. I love that he's not afraid to say that's what would be the case if this were not true. And then in verse 20, it goes on. It says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits. 
Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. It says those who belong to Christ will be resurrected. And that's hard to believe sometimes. Uh, I've told you before. I like to walk in cemeteries. It's kind of creepy. I do it in the daytime, not at night. Uh, but I like to walk through them. I like to see these names on these, these headstones. Names of, of, of people that have lived in Manhattan over the last 150 years. And, and to think of these are real people and you know, the things that they struggled with. And what were their hopes and their frustrations. And you know, imagine them laughing and crying. And uh, <clears throat> you know, that these stones represent actual lives of people who are now actually dead. And, and the idea that those people will be raised back to life is bizarre to me. I mean, as you walk through there, just trying to imagine that is one of the strangest things ever. And yet, the idea that they lived a life and that they will never be brought back to life, that that is it, honestly, that is even stranger to me. And so my, my hope in this sermon, is that, that you're convinced that Jesus actually rose from the dead and that God actually resurrected your soul to believe the gospel and with that made it so that when you die, your soul will be present with God. And finally, that you really believe the truth that God will raise your body from the grave to be reunited with your soul again. And so I want to show you that this, this isn't just hopeful thinking. This isn't just wandering outside and wishing what I might be true and, and telling you that so. Uh, this is how the scriptures actually present this. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 17, Paul's writing to, to a group of Christians there who are thinking about their loved ones who have died. And they're trying to make sense out of how do we respond to that death that we are still seeing in the world. And he says this, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring him to those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. He means dead when he says fallen asleep here. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Do we grieve death? Yes. Even death of other Christians? Yes. We grieve death because it shows us, once again, just what havoc sin has enacted on the world. We grieve death because we are separated from loved ones that we care about through that. We grieve death because God has made us emotional beings that are broken when we see death in the world. But we don't grieve like others. And that's a significant difference. We grieve differently because we have hope. And hope here is not like playing the lottery, maybe you win, maybe you don't. There's a certainty to this hope. Gospel hope. 
Because our brothers and our sisters in Christ will be brought back, to, brought back to life. And just like the resurrection of Christ restored our relationship with God, so the resurrection of our bodies will restore the relationships that we have with other loved ones who are in Christ. What a bizarre experience the resurrection is going to be. Glorious, but bizarre. See, the scripture is a means of grace, and I, I want to read to you a few more texts that confirm the truth that because your soul has been redeemed, your body will be resurrected. John 6.40 says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. 1 Corinthians 6.14, And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Romans 8.11, If in the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Uh, when I really let this truth sink in, it, it gives me chills. And honestly, there's so many distractions in life that I don't let this truth set into my mind very often. But when it does, it gives me absolute chills. We'll live forever. I mean, deep down, that is one of my deepest desires. It also begins this string of questions in my mind, and likely yours as well. Will we look the same in the resurrection, or am I going to look like some model? Um, you know, can I eat ice cream all I want without getting fat? Or will there even be ice cream? Are we going to wear clothes, or are we so pure we don't even need clothes anymore? Uh, will I remember my life? What about my sin? Will I remember my sin? Will I be aware of the people who aren't there with me? What are we going to do? Is there baseball and soccer and other things? Will, will we be able to walk through the doors like Jesus did? Will we be able to fly? That's what you really want to know, right? You know, what's the relationship between Laura and I going to be like after the resurrection? And, and I don't know the answer to those questions. That's still a mystery because God has chosen not to reveal everything to us. I do know our body will be physical. Um, Thomas was able to touch the resurrected Christ, right? And it seems we'll be able to eat because we see that even Christ, after the resurrection, he's eating fish, unless he's just pretending, I don't know. Um, and if we're going to meet Jesus in the clouds, there'll be some sort of flying. I don't know what that looks like, but something like that. Uh, but much of it is still just an absolute mystery to us. And that's why there is some fear in death. It's the mystery, the unknownness of it. Um, and yet, we know Christ will be there, and that's the comfort we have. In the book of Revelation, chapter one or 21, verses 3 and 4, we learn just a little more. It reads, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. Sounds wonderful, doesn't it? I mean, we talk about peace. That's a description of actually accomplished peace. Um, so let me leave you with one one bit of application. Believe. Yes, it's application that must be given by God, but, but I want you to focus on this gift of God that we call faith. Um, 
Believe the gospel. Believe that you are indeed a sinner. Believe that God raised Jesus from the grave. Believe that he has resurrected your soul so that you now have faith and a relationship with God. Believe that when you breathe your last breath on this earth, you'll be in the spiritual presence of Christ your Savior. Believe that your brothers and sisters in Christ who are dead today will one day be resurrected into an everlasting life. And believe that your own body and soul will be reunited for eternity on that last day. Believe that there is more to life than you've seen so far. And because Jesus died and rose again, um, we're part of that. Uh, Let's close with the words of of Jesus to Martha after Lazarus died. Remember, Jesus knew what he's going to do, and uh, Lazarus dies, and she's broken. Even Christ himself is crying, and, and these are the words that he gives her to comfort her. In John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, he shall, yet shall he live. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this life that we now live. But we also know that we will live and we will die. If our faith is in Christ, then at the moment that we die, we will be in your presence. And at a future time, our bodies will be risen from the grave. Lord, as we live in a culture that views every resurrection as fairy tale, we ask that you give us faith to believe your word, to seek you and to find rest in you. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sin, for dying so that we might live eternally in your presence. It's in the name of Christ, our risen Savior, we pray. Amen.